Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 287. Today is May 7th, 2019. I'm your host, John Pagliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Two quick announcements. Number one, I recently had the privilege to be interviewed on the Fathers After 50 podcast. Greg Patterson, who's the host, does a really good job of interviewing me, delving into my past, and hitting on the key issues that have helped me to become what I am today, a middle-class millionaire, or I sort of like to call myself a blue-collar millionaire. I'll put a link in today's show notes. Definitely check it out if you'd like to know more about me. Now, as far as getting to know me and learning more about my background, that takes us to item number two, which is a well-steady meetup that will occur in Flagstaff, Arizona on June 7th and 8th. I'd mentioned in previous episodes that we were gonna try and do a meetup sometime in Arizona. Well, I'll be visiting friends on June 7th and 8th, and they have graciously offered up their property so that we can hold a meetup in Flagstaff. And since they own a couple acres there, we'll be able to camp out and boondock on the property if that's something that you wanna do and you can be self-contained. Otherwise, there are plenty of hotel options in the area. So June 7th and 8th, we'll come in, set up camp, and get to know each other that Friday night. And then I'll be putting together a program for Saturday consisting of several question and answer segments, but this is going to be really at a very informal level. I don't expect more than a handful of people to show up, and so if you've been looking for an opportunity to get me away from the crowds one-on-one, well, this is it. Get to Flagstaff, Arizona, June 7th. Now, hey, in today's market, we look like we're having a bit of a meltdown. The VIX is up somewhere in the 20s, A lot of turbulence and volatility has come back into the market. We saw a little bit of that happen early last week, and that's when the Federal Reserve had come out and said, yes, they're still holding rates steady, but they don't anticipate a rate cut. I don't think that that was ever in the cards, certainly not this early in the game, and yet the irrational emotional responses of the market had started to price that rate cut in, and almost unbelievably, we started to see some sell-offs early last week. The interesting part was that pretty much at the end of the day, the market started to rally again, and by the close of business on Friday, the S&P 500 had pretty much made up all of its losses from the previous week. But then all the trade war drama started to unfold over the weekend, when it was announced that the Chinese have started to backwalk and renege on some of the early agreements and some of the terms that they've made over these past few months. And so as we come into supposedly the ninth inning of these negotiations and things are starting to get wrapped up, well, the Chinese did what they normally do. It's their normal trading strategy. They started to walk things back. Apparently, that's what we're hearing from the White House anyways that they were walking back and reneging on some of these terms of the agreements and saying, oh, no, we really didn't mean that, or that's misinterpreted. We don't know if any of that's true, but the bottom line is President Trump tweeted over the weekend that if they didn't come to terms and if the Chinese started to renege on their negotiations, that he was going to slap tariffs another 10% on Chinese products and it would happen this Friday. Well, then rumors spread that the Chinese were calling off their negotiating delegation and things started to snowball. And by Monday morning, the S&P 500 was down, I don't know, I think a couple percent. There's a lot of volatility throughout the day. But then just as we'd seen the previous week, in the closing hours of the session, more than half of that loss was made up and the S&P 500 closed somewhere around, I think, 29.30 at a very respectable level 
certainly off from its record highs, but really at a very nice performance. But lo and behold, when the markets opened up again today on Tuesday, things got dicey fast. The market plunged another 2% or so. Now, a lot of that, again, was made up in the closing minutes of the day. But still, the market closed, the S&P 500 closed just below its 20-day moving average. Now, that's not necessarily a bad sign. I mean, a 20-day moving average is the faster of the traditional moving averages, and you would expect that to be broken in volatility. But when you see that it's not broken, when you see the institutional investors come in and buy and offer support at that level, then that's generally a very bullish sign, and that's a good idea to jump in the market. Well, we didn't see that happen today, and so consequently, I did not add to my positions, nor do I plan to, probably at least until Friday, because I want to see how things shake out in this market. And it isn't that I necessarily think things are going to go lower. It's just that I don't see a whole lot of risk-reward at this point. Although the S&P 500 has broken its 20-day moving average, it still has a long way to go to get back to fair value, which in this case happens to be related to about where the 100 and the 200-day moving average are, because fair value on the S&P 500 based on 2019 earnings of somewhere around $170 puts fair value around $2,700, $2,730. But buying it at this level above fair value or even right at fair value doesn't interest me that much. What I'm more interested in is to see where the institutional investors come in at if they buy the dip, if they offer support at fair value or at the 100-day or perhaps at the 200-day moving average. That's what I'll be watching for. I'll also be watching very closely to see if it breaks below those levels. Because if it breaks below those levels, that's a whole new ball game, and my interest and curiosity will really be piqued at that point. Now, I do have to add here that I continue to look outside the United States. Listen, this is a risky bet. It's not for everyone. Emerging markets, by their very nature, can be very volatile. It's a position that I've been in and I've held since the beginning of 2017, the end of 2016. The emerging market and international positions in general played out extremely well in 2017. They held up for the first quarter or so in 2018, and then they were abysmal for the rest of the year. I held on to them, though, because there was no way I was going to sell them when they had such a low valuation and I felt a lot of runway and opportunity ahead of them. So I've held my emerging market and my international positions, and I not only plan to continue to hold them, even with this turbulence going on and the volatility surrounding what may or may not happen with tariffs and the trade war, I continue to hold these emerging market and international positions. And in fact, between now and Friday, and maybe into next week, depending upon how the market closes this week, I may even be adding to emerging markets in general and specific country ETFs directly. The reason that I continue to have interest, particularly in emerging markets, is not only because they've been beaten down, but because they've never truly recovered over this past 12 to 18 month cycle. I think if you look at emerging markets going back to about this time in 2018, they're still down nominally about 5% from where they closed in May of 2018 and probably something in excess of down 15% or more from their multi-year high, which happened in January of 2018. This is at the same time when U.S. markets have gone on to make multiple new record highs. 
So it's not just that emerging markets are beaten down or that they've lagged or underperformed in relative strength to the S&P 500, but it's also that there's a great deal of value in the emerging markets and specific international country sectors. In some cases, they're as low or lower than 12, 13, even 11 times. Now, not only do I believe that these markets are undervalued, I also believe that there's a rational reason and a path as to why these markets can show improvement and why they can consequently rise, say 15, 20, 25, maybe even 30 or 35% from where we are right now. A lot of it has to do with the fact that China continues to stimulate their economy. And I know it's a house of cards, but you know what? Their economy stabilizes, recovers, and grows. Now I realize someday that won't work. I know there could be a day of reckoning when the chickens come home to roost. I just don't see that happening right now in May of 2019. I also see a lot of good things happening in other specific countries outside of China. And as long as demographics in those areas continue to be favorable and show growth, and as long as they keep adapting technology into their economies to improve their productivity, and as long as oil prices stay moderately low, and this is a real key to sustain global growth, it's oil prices. The global economy runs on petroleum. And right now, West Texas Intermediate is selling right around $61. The other indicator that you can look to as to the health of not only the general economy, but very much to emerging market nations, and that's the price of copper. Now, copper has come down, which again is good from a cost standpoint. It's gotten lower. It's below about $2.80 right now. I think it's maybe $2.75 or something a pound. So it's come off of its highs. That's a good thing because it reduces overall cost of manufacturing because virtually everything that is manufactured or made in this electronic world has copper in it. So that's good for the bottom line production of consumer products. But at the same time, the price of copper is stabilizing and it won't be until it drops below, say, $2.60 a pound that we have to worry about a huge discount in copper prices as a leading indicator to recessionary forces. If things cool off too much, if manufacturing starts to slow down, if no one's buying anything or no one's manufacturing anything, the floor drops out in the price of copper and it drops precipitously. Well, right now there's solid support at about 260. As I mentioned, the price is up near the high 270s. So we still have a lot of cushion before things start to fall apart on copper, leading towards a global recession. And at the same time, we're well off of highs in copper, which are well in excess of $3 a pound. So that means that prices are very affordable to manufacturers. So you have consumers around the world that are spending you have a very reasonable price on oil and other energy products, and you also have a reasonable price on copper and other materials. Those all add up for a growing, expanding economy, and you throw in the fact that interest rates, not only in the United States, but around the world, are extremely low, and all the central banks are backing off their hawkish stance. They've either already made announcements that they're not raising interest rates, or in some cases like Australia, that they are actually cutting rates. And you add all that up, and to me, that means we are going to see global growth in 2019. And I think emerging markets still present an opportunity 
And if the fear of the trade war and the global slowdown...